Over the next couple of months as a church, we're going to be doing a new teaching series called We Believe, looking through some foundational beliefs that all Christians should believe. And we're going to be working our way through the Nicene Creed, which is a statement of beliefs that all Christians worldwide agree is an accurate summary of what the Bible teaches about some particularly important subjects when it comes to Christian beliefs. And it's so important that we remind ourselves of things that are certain in a time of uncertainty like the one that we're living in. Now, when it comes to things that we believe as Christians, there are some things that individual Christians believe that are a little bit like decorations in a house. As you can see, we're currently in my study. I've been putting up shelves and doing some decorating. There are some beliefs we hold that ultimately come down either to personal preference or to personal conviction. What kind of clothes is it okay for me to wear on a Sunday, for example? Some Christians will hold different views on that. But it's not a reason to divide and say those people aren't Christians and we're Christians and they're not. They ultimately comes down to personal conviction. There are some beliefs, however, that are a bit more important, or in fact, a lot more important, and they're a little bit more like the floor in a room. So as you can see, I've been doing a bit of repair works on my floor in my, in my study, and um, f- the floor is much more important than decoration. And so if I hadn't repaired the floor, I may have ended up falling through the floorboards, and that's a much more significant thing than, dec- uh, than decorations. And there are certain beliefs that we hold as Christians that are a bit more like the floor. They're very, very important. Things like, what do we believe church leadership should be like? Should we baptize babies? Should we not baptize babies? What do we think about communion? They may even be reasons that we decide not to join a particular church because we disagree with a particular belief that they hold. But at the same time, if the floor has a gaping hole in it, the rest of the house actually still stands. And so we might disagree very strongly with some Christians and some churches in terms of the beliefs that they hold, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not Christians or that they're not a real church. However, there are some beliefs that are much more like the foundations of the house. If you take the foundations of the house away, you are no longer left with a house, the whole thing crumbles. And there are certain beliefs, and the ones we're going to look at in this series fall under this category. There are some beliefs that if you take them away, there is no such thing as Christianity even left. If a church holds to a belief that, that contradicts something that we find in the Nicene Creed, you know that it is no longer a Christian church. But this series is not just about highlighting boundaries, things that we must believe, things that we shouldn't believe. It's also learning to delight in and build our lives on these glorious, amazing truths. And so what we're going to do each week, each Sunday, we are going to read the Nicene Creed together, which is an amazing thing to do. There's going to be a video that appears after this, and we're going to read through it from our living rooms every single Sunday. One of the very powerful things as we do that is we are joining with Christians worldwide from all languages and backgrounds and also all the way throughout history in confessing certain key beliefs. And it's actually a really powerful thing to do. So can I encourage you to join with us as we do that? It might feel like a slightly different activity to what you're used to, but it's a really powerful one. There are a few terms that appear in the creed that you might find a bit confusing. And don't worry, we'll explain them over the weeks. One of those is the term Catholic. The word Catholic actually just means universal. So when we confess that we believe in one Catholic apostolic church, we're not saying that we belong to the Roman Catholic church. We're saying we believe that there is a universal church that is the people of God. So each Sunday we'll read through the creed and we will also have a sermon from the Bible, which um, looks into one one of the themes that's summarized in the creed. And then every day we're going to follow that up with some devotions that dig into that topic a bit deeper to help us to build our lives on these truths. 
So let's take up that call to build our life on these good foundations and let's recite the Nicene Creed together and delight in the truths of the Bible that it summarizes. So we're going to read that with the help of this video. So let's all do that together wherever we are right now. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, for all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Well, hello everyone. It's really great to see so many of your faces. And uh, as you heard, we're starting a new series today. And it was amazing as we were watching that video to see so many people reciting uh, the creed along with us. For some of you, that might be quite a new Thing. For some of you, that may be a, a church background where you're more familiar to doing that kind of thing. But can I encourage you, it's such a powerful thing um, to confess truths that we are certain about in times where everything else is very uncertain. And these are truths that we're going to be looking at over this series that are like anchors. Okay? If you're in a boat, you're in a, even a big ship and you're in the middle of a storm, the waves can be crashing, the boat can be tossed around everywhere. But if you've got the anchor at the bottom, you know that anchor's not moving. And in this life, circumstances may feel like a storm. Some of you at the moment may feel like you're going through a storm. You may have experienced the loss of your job. You may have experienced, uh, well, as, as all of us are, what it means to be isolated in a very real way. And you're thinking, everything that I took for granted is being tossed around like a storm. We need to remind ourselves there's an anchor that still holds at the bottom. And that's part of what this series is doing. And I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope that you benefit from it. And I'm sure that we all will together. This, today, we're starting the series and we're looking at one God. Okay? We look at, look at the first part of the Nicene Creed. And we're going to teach from the Bible on that particular part of the creed. And uh, the first part of the Nicene Creed says, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen. These are glorious words and we're going to unpack them a little bit and 
illustrate how they summarize what the Bible teaches about God. But the question we're asking today really is, what does it mean to say we believe in one God? What does it mean to say we believe in one God? Now, just a quick side note, we'll see over the next few weeks that when we as Christians say we believe in one God, what that, partly what that means is to say we believe in one God who, who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the Father is God, that Jesus is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God. And that's something that's called the Trinity. And if I've just explained that and you have never heard that explained before, or you've heard it explained many times and you think, what, how on earth do you make sense of that? One God who exists in three persons, but yet you're telling me that it's not three gods. And it also doesn't mean that it's three expressions of one person, but it means that there's one God and three persons. How on earth does that make sense? Welcome to the team. It is not meant to make logical sense to us as human beings. Understanding that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that all three of those persons are equally God, but yet we don't worship three gods, is a mystery that should move us to worship God rather than try and understand how that could make sense logically. So just to add that as a caveat at the beginning is that we believe in one God who, is ex- who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that is what we call the Trinity. But when we look particularly at the first part of the creed, we're asking the question, what does it mean to say we believe in one God? Okay, and we're going to look at obviously the, the Son and the Holy Spirit in the coming weeks. But what does it mean to say we believe in one God? And we're going to look at a passage from Isaiah 45 today. You can open your Bibles if you've got them with you. Isaiah 45 verses 18 to 23. So if you want to read along with me, let's read the word of God together. Isaiah 45 verse 18 to 23. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Very amazing passage, powerful words, kind of big, cataclysmic, powerful words. And God is speaking to his people in this passage. He's speaking to his people, Israel, at a time where they're going through suffering at the hands of a foreign nation. They are going through a time of difficulty. In, in many, many ways, much worse than the time of difficulty that we're currently going through, but they are going through a time of difficulty just like we are. And what God does is he comforts his people by reminding them that he alone is God. And that's an incredible comfort to them in that moment, because if they lose sight of the fact that their God is the only true God, then they're going to start losing heart. And if in this moment of suffering that we're currently going through, we lose sight of the fact that our God is the only God, 
we're going to end up becoming disheartened. And so we're going to ask the question, as I've said already, what does it mean to say we believe in one God? And I think this passage teaches us that to say we believe in one God helps us understand that we're saying at least three things. And uh, perhaps a bit of a stupid illustration to help you understand this. Uh, my, dad, my dad is a Southampton fan. Uh, football fan that is and this may be a little bit of a dated illustration but for those of you who know anything about Southampton you will know that there used to be I think he's gone off to Liverpool now or elsewhere but there used to be a player there called Ricky Lambert and my dad used to rave about this guy called Ricky Lambert and um, he used to sing a song and he used to say there's only one Ricky Lambert and I'm sure that you know similar songs for other players but when my dad and Southampton fans sung that song they were saying at least three things about this guy called Ricky Lambert. Replace him with whatever football player you want to replace him with. They were saying there's only that Ricky Lambert is unique. In other words, there is only one of this particular Ricky Lambert. There might be a guy who lives down the road who's also called Ricky Lambert, but it's not the same one. There is one unique Ricky Lambert. So they're saying numbers-wise, there's only one. Another thing they're saying is there is only one Ricky Lambert who can actually bring us victory in this particular match. There's only one Ricky Lambert who can save us from the opponents. So they're saying only he has the power to do this. And the third thing they're saying in what is probably a, quite an irreverent way, but actually is probably true for a lot of football fans, they're saying there's only one Ricky Lambert that's worth worshipping, that's worth actually singing about, that's worth actually devoting much of our energy and lives to. And I think this helps illustrate what we mean when we say we believe in one God. We are saying there is only one God numbers wise. You can't go down the road and find another God. It just doesn't happen. There's only one God numbers wise. There's also only one God who has all of the power and no other gods, or not that there even are any anyway, but no other God has the power that God has. And then thirdly, we're saying there is only one God who is worth worshipping, who is worth giving the whole of our lives to. And we're going to see how that works out in Isaiah 45. So why don't you join me as we look at this together? So saying we believe in one God means we believe that there only one God even exists. So if you look at verse 18, God says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Verse 21, in the same chapter, God says at the end of this verse, um, there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none beside me. And then in verse 22, he says it again. He says, I am God and there is no other. Saying we believe in one God means we are saying there is no such thing as another God. We could pretend as if, they are, as if there is, and people throughout the centuries, and I myself very regularly, act as if there are other gods, but there is no other God. He is the only God, the only one who is God. And to us, to say we believe that might sound quite normal. There's a, a number of religions around the world nowadays that say we believe that there's only one God. Christianity is one of them. Judaism would be another one. Islam, we were just praying for Muslims. They also believe that there is only one God. So to us, that might sound like quite a normal thing to say. But actually, in the days that Isaiah is speaking, that would have been a very unusual thing to say because pretty much all the other nations that lived around the people of God believed in many different gods. They say, well, we have a God who is the God of the rain. We have a God who's the God of the sea. We have a God who's the God of the mountains. We have a God who is um, the God of fluffy clouds. Or what, like, pick a thing, you will find a God that exists that is to, meant to control it. But Israel 
confessed, we believe that there is only one God that even exists. We can pretend sometimes as if there are others. And we'll look at that a little bit later. I can pretend without admitting it. I can pretend as if there are other gods. There are other things in my life that take the place of God. But just because I can act in that way doesn't change the fact that there is only one God. There are no others that even exist. So to say we believe in one God means we believe that there is only one God who even exists. To say we believe in one God, secondly, is to say that we believe that only this God that we worship is almighty or is all powerful. If you remember the creed, we believe in one God, the Father, the almighty creator of heaven and earth. God is almighty, which means he has all of the might, all of the power that you could possibly imagine. Think of any power in the world. God has the ability to override any human power, any electric power, any mechanical power. God has all of the power in the world. And he shows that by creating. Look at verse 18. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. When we look at pictures of the Himalayas or of the Amazonian rainforest or watching documentaries about the depths of the oceans and you think there's like we have hardly been able to send cameras down to the depths of the sea because it's such a crushing pressure and God's saying yeah I I created all of that if you read Genesis 1 it says he created that by speaking there's a throwaway line in Genesis 1 where um, we in, in our translations it says and he also created the stars And in the original language it was written, it's literally, and stars. It's like, he just created the stars, like in in a throwaway comment in Genesis. Our God, the God that we worship, the God who knows us and loves us, is the one who created everything. Absolutely everything. There is nothing in this world that was not created by our God, our Father, the Almighty. God is also almighty, all-powerful, because he knows everything. Verse 21 says, declare and present your case. Now, this is a challenge to the so-called gods of the nations. Obviously, they're not going to answer because they don't exist. But God's kind of challenging them and saying, who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? Now, what's happening here is that God is in the process of rescuing his people by raising up a Uh, an emperor called Cyrus, who's going to set his people free. They're currently in slavery and captivity, and he's raised up a foreign nation. They're going to set his people free. And God is saying, I challenge all of the so-called gods of the nations to have predicted that that was going to happen. But Isaiah is writing this 150 years before that man even appeared on the scene. And God's saying, Who else, apart from me, was able to foretell 150 years before it happened that this was going to happen? God knows everything. And that's hugely encouraging. Do you think we live at a time where we don't know everything? And it's becoming more and more obvious. Well, I say we live at a time where we don't know everything. We've never known everything. But we're living at a time where it's particularly obvious that we do not know everything. And we perhaps lived under the illusion that we did, or many of us may have lived under the illusion. And I know that I very often live under the illusion that I know everything. I don't, but my God does. Our God does. He knows everything. And isn't that a huge encouragement when we have no idea how situations are going to pan out? We ultimately don't really know how this coronavirus situation is going to to pan out. 
we may have a good idea of what the process perhaps of leaving lockdown and so on happens, but ultimately we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but God does. And I find that hugely comforting that at the moments where I have no idea what's going to happen, God knows exactly what's going to happen. And you know what? I would prefer it to be that way around, ultimately. I know there are many times where I wish it was the other way around. And I kind of go, oh, I wish I knew everything. But when I sit down and think, actually, I would prefer the God who is in complete control of the universe and has all power to be the one who actually knows everything rather than me. Because I think we would all be in trouble if I was the one who knew everything rather than God. I think it's so comforting to know that God knows everything. He is all powerful because he knows everything. And God is also all powerful because he's the only one, this passage tells us, who is powerful enough to save his people. Verse 20 says, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. And God is speaking here. He's speaking to his people and comforting them because they are looking at the other nations and the other nations worship gods who are made out of wood. I've got a lot of wood in, wood in, uh, in this, particular, um, uh, this particular room because I've been doing a lot of work on it. You probably saw a little bit of that in the intro video. Imagine putting your trust in something that was made out of wood. I'm not sure I put my trust in the shelves that I've made out of wood, let alone putting enough trust in something that's made out of wood in order to ask it to save me and rescue me and ransom me and save me from everything that would stop me from being able to approach God. And so. God here encourages his people by saying, I'm the one who can save. Verse 22, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. God, the true God, is the only one who can actually save his people. And that is such good news because the reality is, although it might sound really stupid to us to make gods out of wood, there are many ways in which we can often act in a similar way. I know I do a lot. I will very often put my trust in things that aren't God as if they were going to be the things that will actually be able to save me. It may be one thing, big thing for me is a sense of certainty or of control. Goodness me, that's been taken out of my hands quite obviously during this season. And sometimes I find a kind of a sense of panic or a sense of unease where I think, oh, I I thought I knew what was going to happen, but now I feel like I'm out of control. And very often those moments where something is removed and we start panicking can very often tell us what our wooden gods actually are. And one of my wooden gods that I need to make sure I'm asking God to help me to not worship and to not put my trust in is this idea of control, wanting to be in control of what's going on. For some of us, it might be finances. And that might be particularly obvious at the moment where you think now that my financial security has been taken away, I'm finding myself panicked. Very often that can be a way of God nudging us and saying, hey, I can save your finances. You know what, whether you had millions in the bank account or overdrawn by thousands, that doesn't change the fact that I'm the one who saves. And sometimes God wants to use circumstances that we're going through to get our attention, to graciously say, look, I'm the one who saves. It was never the money in the first place. Another thing might be relationships. You might be putting your trust in particular relationships as if they were the thing that was going to be able to bring you ultimate joy. But ultimately, that's never going to bring the satisfaction and the joy that God can bring. Only God is able to save us from the things that separate us from true joy, which is knowing him. 
And because of all of this, so we've seen that believing in one God means that we only, we, we only have one God in total. There are no others that exist. We've also seen that it means to say that there only one God is powerful to create, to know all things and to save. And because of that, the third thing we said is we believe in one God means there is only one God that is worth worshipping. God says this in verse 23, by myself, I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Saying we believe in one God means we're saying, Lord, you're the one who gets all of me. You're the one who gets all of my devotion. You're the one who gets all of my energy. You're the one who gets all of my love. And I will fail daily at that. But you're the one who deserves that devotion, that true love. And so that's what we're saying. Ultimately, when we say we believe in one God, we're saying one God exists, only one we're saying only one God is actually powerful and only one God can actually bring us the true joy that all of us crave. And number three, only one God is worth worshiping. There's no, no one else that is worth worshiping and worth saying to, Lord, I give you my heart. There's no one else, nothing else that is worth saying, I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. Only the Lord, the God who is revealed in the Bible and the God who has revealed himself to us. But before we wrap up, just in case we're tempted to think that saying we believe in one God, the, Almighty, the Father, the Almighty, means saying we believe in a distant, powerful God who is uninvolved in our lives. Let's quickly remember the second part of that first line of the creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. And in verse 19 in Isaiah 45, we find out that this God who is powerful, mighty, all-knowing is a God who wants to know us and is a God who wants relationship with us. He says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. He's encouraging his people saying, I want to be with you. I don't want to stand miles off, kilometer, like light years away and look at stuff that's going on. I want to know you. I want to be with you because God is revealed as the father. And a father wants to know his children. And there's a sense in which God is the father of everyone because he, in a sense, he's kind of, he's the creator of everyone. But there's a very true sense in which those of us who are followers of Jesus, we don't just get to call God the father. We get to call God our father, the, the creator of the Niagara Falls, the one who spoke the stars into being. The one who knew 150 years before the guy even appeared on the scene that he was that a guy called Cyrus was going to deliver his people is our father. I don't know what your relationship with your earthly father has been like. For some of us, that might be quite positive. For some of us, it might actually be quite a painful thing. But I can tell you that the gods that we confess in the creed, the God that we read about in the pages of this Bible and the God that we can have access to as we follow Jesus is the perfect father. He's the perfect father who cares for and loves for his children. And when we are facing dark, lonely moments, and I'm sure that many of us will be facing very dark, lonely moments at the moment, we can know that we do not just, we do not worship a God who is distant. We worship a God who is utterly all powerful, but we worship a God who is also our father. And that helps us as we look to worship him alone, because when if if we were just to worship 
him alone and he were only an incredibly powerful God, that would be terrifying. But if we look to worship him alone and we think, you're my dad, you're my father, that's a much more encouraging way of fixing our gaze on him. So let's remember that. And we're going to respond in a minute by singing uh, a song, which is a, a summary of this creed. And as we confess it, let's remember, we believe in one God, the Father, our Father, who is all-powerful, almighty, and who has, made, who has made a way through Jesus for us to come and know him. And if you're here today and you do not know God, you're not a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you? This passage tells us that only this God is able to save you and bring you the joy that you truly desire. And can I encourage you? Why don't you, if you want to find out more, why don't you get in touch with us? You can send an email to hello at wearelifechurch.uk. And we would love to introduce you to Jesus and explain to you how knowing Jesus means that you can be reconciled to this loving, all-powerful, almighty Father God. So let me just pray to wrap up and then we will sing a song to respond together. Father, I thank you. I thank you that I can call you Father. I thank you that I can call you Almighty Father. You're not a Father who's unpowerful and you're not someone who is absolutely powerful but does not want a relationship. You are an Almighty Father. And Father, I pray you would help us to take that truth, to delight in it, and to apply it to our lives, and that we would honor and glorify you with every breath that we have. And you would help us to worship and love you and delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dan, uh, for that encouragement. Friends, uh, before we uh, end our time together, it would be great just to spend a bit of uh, a few moments responding uh, to Dan's word. We, I love that. The vastness of God, and yet he is intimate as a father. And uh, we've, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen wonderful moments of breakthrough in people's lives personally, and it would be great to celebrate that together. Um, and so we have a couple of testimonies just in a moment, just 30 seconds of this is what God's doing. You can pick them up at Life News as well. Um, it'd be great to encourage one another with that. And then also uh, just spend a, a couple of moments praying for one another as well before we uh, end our time together. So let's go over to Simon uh, Lummis just to share a quick testimony of what God's done. Morning, morning Life Church. This is uh, slightly strange, but there we go. Um, so last Sunday we were doing the praying for uh, and the laying on of hands for people. And uh, while our God has answered many of, uh, of my prayers and our family's prayers, um, it was really strange and a, and a first experience for me in my life. Actually, we're praying on Zoom and uh, I put my hand on my shoulder and we were praying for it and then nothing happened the first time. And then the second time we, uh, we did the pray, um, I felt better. I genuinely felt better for the first time in my life, laying on of a hand and my shoulder felt better. And some of that uh, regeneration of my shoulder and pain has gone away and has, has gone away permanently. So uh, praise God. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic to, uh, to feel that in a Zoom meeting, not at church and not with people laying on their hands. So praise God. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Wonderful. Let's celebrate what God is doing. Let's go over to Adrian. Hi, guys. How are you? All right. Um, Yeah, it's great to hear Dan's encouraging words about our almighty God today. 
And uh, I just wanted to sort of bring things back to our level and say, well, you know, God's up with the latest technology because he does use Zoom. And uh, <laughs> like Simon, last week I had a pain in the shoulder here and I was prayed for and it's completely gone for the first time in some weeks and I'm really grateful to the Lord. Um, I've been trusting him this year for healing even more and more and in January I was really ill with some gastroenteritis and I looked at the verse in James 5 where it says if anybody is sick let the elders come and lay hands on them and pray for them and they did that with me and a really bad illness which had laid me low for three weeks started to turn round and I got better um, so obviously you know we are in the zoom age and the elders can't all pop round and lay their hands on and anoint us with oil at the moment but we can use Zoom, and he responds, and thank you, Lord, for your healing. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Two stories of uh, God's amazing healing in people's lives, and there are more. We'd encourage you to look for those on Life News and do share them with us. But we felt that before we end this time together, it would be good to respond uh, to what God has been doing amongst us. We've had some words shared uh, to us before the meeting uh, about the hope that God brings. We felt that as we've been uh, uh, praying and worshipping together this morning. But uh, a word about people that are looking to uh, kind of a bleak season ahead and, and feeling that, that kind of fear and struggle that comes with that. But there is but, uh, just a reminder that hope comes from God. Uh, there's another word about feeling God's peace and knowing his peace in the midst of uh, the storms of life. Those of us that are maybe feeling fearful uh, at this time to know God's real peace uh, in this season. What a wonderful truth we've just been reminded of, as Dan shared, that God is, is the vast God who threw the stars into the sky, and yet he knows us intimately as a father. We can know his fatherly peace uh, this morning. And then some specific uh, words around uh, people that are suffering with tension headaches, uh, a name of Lydia that came to mind, uh, and also people who are in need of of healing in their back, back pain. Uh, it would be great to respond to these. We've just heard that God, uh, God is moving uh, as we are praying, and so we want to keep on praying, don't we? Uh, we want to keep on trusting him in this season. So I want to encourage you, let's just spend a couple of moments uh, responding to him. It would be good to physically respond. If you feel that God uh, is maybe speaking to you about your, if you're feeling a, a back pain or a tension headache, uh, or if you feel particularly fearful in this season and you need to know his peace or his hope, I would encourage you just to stand uh, where you are. You're in your own living room, so it matters not who else is looking. Um, but it would be great to respond in this way. And then we'll just take a couple of moments to pray together, uh, to trust God uh, for many more testimonies and stories of his goodness uh, as, we, uh, as we pray. Father, we do want to thank you so much for uh, the reminder that we've had this morning of uh, the God in whom we serve. There's no God beside him. There's no one like him. There's no one who even comes close. And, uh, and Father, uh, the pure privilege this morning that we get to engage with you in this way, call you our Father, know that you uh, deal with us intimately, the way that we have heard of uh, stories where you've broken through personally in people's lives. Father, we trust you in this way. Father, we want to pray for uh, peace in the midst of storms. We want to pray for peace in the midst of fear. Uh, we want to pray that hope would rise in this season. We, we pitch ourselves uh, uh, to hope in you uh, in this season. Father, would you uh, embolden us freshly with that hope? 
And Father, too, we want to pray for Lydia. We want to pray for tension headaches to lift. We want to pray for backs to be healed. And we trust you in your precious name. Amen. Friends, it would be good to continue to pray for this. If you feel that God has been uh, touching you in this way as we've been praying, if you could give us a little wave, we'd love to uh, capture some more testimonies. If that's an immediate thing, uh, we see a couple of uh, waves now. That's great. Uh, If that's an immediate thing, brilliant. If that's something that comes on over the coming uh, days, then please do get in touch at We Are uh, Life Church. If you do hello at We Are Life Church, the same uh, links that's come up uh, just now, that would be great. Uh, We want to encourage one another with all that God is doing amongst us uh, as a church family. Thank you so much for those who've contributed. And uh, uh, please do keep the stories and encouragements coming in. It's great to hear. Have a great week and we'll see you again soon. Bye.